So this morning I want to talk about how to cooperate with God with prophetic promises. You know, a prophetic promise can come from a person who prophesies over you and says, this is what God's called you to, this is what God's doing in you, this is how God's going to bless and change the world through you. A prophetic promise can come, you're reading the Bible and it just arrests you, you just realise, wow, God's speaking. The word of God's a living and active thing and God has just spoken to me. We've got prophetic promises as a church. We've got promises for the nations. It was interesting going over prophetic words that we'd received since 2007 and how many times God has spoken to Rochelle and myself and to us as a church about people from the East, from people from Asian nations, that God has given us promises for impacting and seeing particularly nations from the East changed and impacted by the Gospel. We've got promises for miracles and signs and wonders. Mm -hmm. We've got promises around remarkable testimonies and remarkable presence and remarkable times. We've got um, promises around having influence, that we might be a small number, but we've got this calling to have a greater influence than we realise, a bigger sphere, a bigger span, a bigger scope than you realised. We were called to be creative people, creative people and creative projects. We're called to be people who find weapons in the river of God, like David found weapons to slay Goliath in the river. We're called to find weapons in the river to, sl- to slay and kill specific giants like hopelessness and unbelief and shame and disappointment. And you've, hopefully all of you are getting promises from God that you've had when the team were here, God's spoken over you, the team from Eastgate was here, you've got prophetic words. But we want to see that as our normal culture, that we're hearing God, that God is, God is arresting you with his purpose for you, that you were born for purpose, you were born to run a specific race, that you are God's poem, that you display who he is to the people around you and to nations. And it's important to be those who know, this is why I'm on earth. That Jesus has saved me for heaven, but I'm saved for purpose here on earth too. I know what I'm getting on with. And often we can receive a prophetic word and then we can receive a promise from God, an invitation from God, but we, we don't always know how to co-labor with it, how to cooperate with God. So that's what I want to talk about this morning and anchoring it in the book of Nehemiah. I think as a culture... We absolutely love the idea of the overnight success. We absolutely love the idea of the person, the singer, who came from absolutely nowhere and they've got this sensational voice and they get interviewed and they say, no, I've never sang in public before. This is the first time I've ever sung outside of my bedroom, outside of the, just a, a brush in the mirror. And now I'm in Wembley Arena and I'm singing to thousands. We love that story. We love the overnight sensation. And we, when we hear the overnight sensation, whether it's um, the singer who becomes famous or the businessman or woman who suddenly becomes successful or what we perceive as an overnight sensation, we often ask them, how did you do it? How did you go from zero to hero in one step? How did you become this 
overnight hit, this overnight spectacular success. What's your secret? We want to believe that there was one single event that changed everything. We want to believe that there was just this wonderful magic moment that changed it all and that if we could discover their key event or the magic moment, then we could happen and arrive and it all could just go and we're there. We love the idea of the magic bullet. As a society, we love the idea of the, the secret, the one thing, the one event. And sometimes we're on a quest for, I've got to just find that one event. And you hear it, people sometimes go from conference to conference to conference to conference, looking for the magic bullet, looking for the single one event that's going to do it all, that's going to catapult them into the prophetic promise, or going to catapult them into a wonderful moment of freedom. And so we could find ourselves, in one sense, on a kind of doom loop. We go round and round and round, always on a quest, but never quite thinking and feeling we've arrived. We're looking for that idea, that programme, that fad, that solution. But never really feeling that we're gathering momentum and never really feeling that we're getting any nearer to fulfilling and walking in that prophetic promise. Has anybody ever felt that? And now we've had that here and sometimes we've invited somebody and it's somebody no one knows. And the turnout for the person that no one knows is, wow, whoosh, we're all going to be there because maybe this will be the thing. Maybe this will be the meeting. Maybe this will be the speaker. And then you invite them again the year later and sometimes the drop-off is as much as 60%. Because somewhere in our heart we thought that was going to be the magic meeting. That was going to be the magic conference. That was going to be the event, the one single defining moment where I was going to come into something, everything that God had promised in a single leap. And sometimes we just feel disappointed. It didn't work. That didn't work. What's the next thing? In Nehemiah 6 and verse 15 and 16, we read about the success of Nehemiah. We read about the victory of Nehemiah. It says in verse 15 of chapter 6, So the wall was completed on the 25th day of Elul, in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their confidence. So Nehemiah was a man who got a promise from God. Nehemiah was a man who got a commission from God. Nehemiah was a man who heard that the city of Jerusalem, the walls were just ransacked. In the, in the time of Ezra, they'd rebuilt the temple. And then he heard, no, the walls are just down. And he was eager for the glory of God. He wanted to restore the physical city of Jerusalem. And he wanted to see the walls, the walls rebuilt. And we read in 6.15 that he actually did it. And so the wall was completed. And the enemy heard about it. And all the surrounding nations were afraid of him and what they had done. And they all lost their confidence. See, that's a dramatic 
end result. That's a dramatic, prophetic, fulfilled promise. That's a dramatic, dramatic thing. The walls are in ruin. Now they're not. They've been restored. See, no matter how dramatic the end result, the enemy lost confidence. The city was restored. However dramatic the end victory, however amazing the end transformation, the truth of the book of Nehemiah, it didn't happen with one single magic moment event. So if you went up to Nehemiah and said, Nehemiah, you heard that the walls were down and you got this commission from God and and now I'm hearing that it's built and fulfilled and the enemy shudders and is nervous because of you. Nehemiah, how did it happen? Was there one single secret, Nehemiah? Was there one single turning event? Was there one single meeting or conference that you went to? Was there one single moment where a special person, a man or woman of the hour with the power prayed for you and it all happened? Was there one single special tool that you discovered that builds walls quickly overnight? What was your secret, Nehemiah? Was there a special program you went on called building walls really quickly? (laughs) Was there a special trowel that you found in... In, in Wilco that was just the trowel, it was the tool and it just sped everything up? Was there some killer innovation that you found on the web that you just discovered and you, you managed to get chapter 6 and verse 15? Maybe there was a lucky break. Did you go on Britain's Got Talent and were you suddenly discovered and you were this great wall builder and then someone, Simon Cowell said, I'm going to build that wall for you, Nehemiah, because you're so talented. <laughs> Was there one miracle moment when you just got the commission and you went to sleep and God built the wall? Tell me your secret because I want to know. I want to build the walls in my life. I want to fulfill the prophetic promises in my life, Nehemiah. I I want to see the enemy shudder and lose his confidence because of what I've built. Because of the way I saw the promises fulfilled. And if you look at the book of Nehemiah, you hear a response that we think is so depressing. Because God didn't do magic. Because we want God to do magic. We want God to zap us into the prophetic promise. But what we read about is process. Not very, very exciting. (laughs) Steady steps. Perseverance, resilience, determination, faith with patience. We don't like that word, patience. (laughs) It resembled, I don't know, imagine a train, a really, really heavy carriage on a train track. And you think, I want to get that train moving. I want to move it down the track. And you push it and it's a heavy weight and it's not moving at all. So you push again and it still doesn't move. And you push again and you push again and you push again and you push again. And suddenly all those pushers, it just begins to move a fraction. And you realise you've got it. But now you just have to push again and push again and push again. And before you know it, 
you've got momentum. You've got momentum, the consistent action of doing the right thing again and again and again and again gets the train moving. And you could say, which was the push that got the train moving? Well, there were about 4,000 pushes. I have no idea which was the push that got the train moving. I just know at one point we pushed and it began to move. It's like Rochelle's family and uh, her brother's back garden got this huge circle swimming pool. And one day we just thought, let's run around the pool and get momentum. Because, you know, if you keep running around the pool, you create a whirlpool and you can lift your legs. And you can all be carried around the pool. But it takes quite a lot of walking around the pool until you've got enough of a whirlpool that you can go and start. And that's what Nehemiah would say. Do you know what? There was no killer innovation. There was no single defining moment. There was no magic trowel, magic bullet, magic program, magic conference, magic moment. We just took a block and put it in place. And then we took another block and we put it in place. And we did that for long enough that we got momentum and we built a wall and the enemy was scared and lost confidence. So his journey, it starts like this. He gets a prophetic promise from God, a prophetic call, something gets laid on his heart from God and he's moved. And then he goes on a journey. And the journey starts with an honest assessment of the reality, the brutal facts. He says at the beginning of Nehemiah 1, the wall was so crumbled that we couldn't even get a horse around it. It was in such disarray. Sometimes the prophetic promise starts with, I've got to look at the brutal facts and look at what it looks like. I've got to be able to face the rubble. Nehemiah, uh, Abraham faced the fact, it says in Romans 4, that he was really old and Sarah's womb was barren and she was dead. (laughs) He faced the fact, and then it says, in hope against all hope, he chose to believe God. It starts with facing the facts. It starts with, where Rochelle's mum and dad live, near the beach, there's when the tide goes out, there's rock pools everywhere. It's really fun, and I still love it. Lifting the rocks and looking at the squidgy things that are <laughs> under rocks. And you think, I don't know what that is. It could sting me, but it looks fun. Can you grab that crab? And it looks, it's picking up the rocks and looking at the squidgy things. That's where the prophetic promise starts. I'm lifting up the rocks. I'm looking at the things that scare me. I'm called to speak, but I'm an introvert and I don't like crowds. I'm called to do this and we've got no money. We've got no resources and we've got no people. We've just got a promise. It starts by looking at the facts. You've given us SE18, but when we look at it, we see poverty and brokenness and despair and depression and sickness and tension and loads of things. We're facing the facts. We're looking at the facts. We're looking at the rocks. We're looking at the things that scare us. We're looking at the things and say, you know what, I'm wrestling with, with trust. You might think, oh, well, Joe said trust is like a train track, and I, I just don't trust him. I'm, I want to go in this prophetic direction, but I'm not sure I actually trust God. I'm lifting up the rock, and I'm looking at the squidgy things and saying, you know what, I lack trust. 
I don't trust. I need to trust. Wisdom, understanding and clarity then becomes the result. Well, I know what I need then. If I don't trust him, I need to have faith ignited so I believe and step out. So it starts with this honest assessment. Faith is not scared to look at the squidgy things. <coughs> faith is not scared to look at the brutal facts. Faith is not scared to face realities. And then as Nehemiah begins <coughs> to share this thing that God had put on his heart, other people get the heart too to come alongside and build as well. And then he has to be resilient because he starts to put one block in front of the other and the en- enemy, Sam Ballot and Tobiah, become angry that Nehemiah is coming to their territory and wants to build the wall again. And they become intimidated by the fact that they could lose their position. And they begin to jeer and despise and mock. There's one moment where it says that the enemy said, even if a fox, if a fox jumped on this wall, it would just crumble. Who you are, Nehemiah, and what you're building, Nehemiah, is so insignificant and vulnerable and fragile, it's laughable. And they jeered and they mocked. And Nehemiah, what did he do? He just continued. I've got a commission from God, I've heard a promise from God, I'm going to build the wall in front of me, I'm going to do what I can do right now. Block. 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 Jeering, mockery, block. Block. So the enemy takes it up a level and says, okay, if you don't respond to mo- mockery and ridicule, I'm going to threaten you with physical violence. What does Nehemiah do? He says, block. Got a spear in one hand. Block. We're going to defend. We're going to have a strategy to now people will blow trumpets when the enemy comes. We'll have a trowel in one hand, a spear in the other. But this continues even against a backdrop of physical threat. So the enemy comes again and says, okay, I'm going to use distraction. If I can't mock you, if I can't frighten you, maybe I can distract you. And so he says four times, Nehemiah, we need to meet in the Valley of Ono, which we've often joked about. If anybody invites you to the Valley of Ono, that's a clue not to go to that valley. (laughs) Anywhere called Ono is not a good place to go. And Nehemiah says four times, he says, I'm not going to the Valley of Ono. I'm about a great work. I'd say that's the, one of the number one strategies of the enemy to stop us fulfilling a prophetic promise is simply distracting us, often not with sin, but just a whole host of good things. Yes. Busy here, busy there, busy doing there. And Nehemiah says, no, I'm about a great work. Block. Yeah. Block. I know what I'm here for. Block. I'm not looking for a magic moment. Block. I'm not running around just trying to find the magic bullet. Block. I'm not going to be distracted. So the enemy comes at him again and says, okay, if you can't be mocked and jeered, if you can't be frightened, if you can't be distracted, what about if I accuse your motivation? I know about you, Nehemiah. You're building this wall and it's got nothing to do with God and it's got everything to do with you trying to usurp the king and increase your reputation. I'll accuse you. I'll accuse you of wrongdoing. Nehemiah's response You're making this up out of your own head. Nothing like what you're saying is true. 
In other words, I've heard God. I've got a commission from God. This is a pure motivation thing. I'm not building my own castle. I'm not trying to get a status or usurp the king. I'm building this for the glory of God because God laid it on my heart. He refused to come down. He refused to come down. See, the truth of the matter is, it's true what we said two weeks ago, since we can do nothing, how much help do we need? That's true. But it's also true that God loves process. And God loves to give us promises. Not so that we can do the promise for God, so that the promise will invite us to connect to God in intimacy and connection, in trust and abiding, so that together we can co-labour to build the wall in front of us. So there is incredible power in just continuing. There There is great power in just continuing in the same direction. There's great power in seeing an area where you've lifted the rock and you've seen the squidgy thing and you know that you need to believe differently and think differently and have faith that's different. There's great power in every day connecting to God and declaring his promise over that thing. Push, push, push. Some, one time I've recently been pushing against something for two years. Push, push, push. And then suddenly it moved. It moved. I'm beginning to believe. Some faith is coming. Some trust is coming in that area. I'm able to step out towards you, God, in active faith. And it was birthed in, I'm going to believe this. I'm going to declare this. I'm going to speak this over myself. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I'm going to be directed by the words that I hear. I'm going to speak this over myself until I start believing it. And then in believing it, start trusting it. Trusting him and moving out towards it. There's great power in just continuing in the same direction. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. There's great power in simply doing the right things in simplicity, faithfulness and diligence. There's huge power in it. Huge power in it. And then in the midst of that simplicity, that diligence, that process... There are breakthrough moments where he suddenly comes and he does a work. So we're not modifying ourselves. It's not us changing ourselves for our own discipline. We're looking for an encounter. We're looking for a meeting. We're looking for a moment where our eyes catch and he ignites faith, where he births something in us. And the context often of that is simplicity, it's resilience, it's diligence, it's faithfulness. It's moment by moment by moment. Remember a few years ago, just got, it's happened many times, we got so moved by someone's testimony about giving. Really moved by it. And we thought, actually, we want to go up a level on our giving. And then we went for three years, had the worst financial <laughs> moment of our life for three years that we'd had since we got married. It's the worst financial time we'd had. And we didn't give because we were looking for the money. We gave for the adventure with him, but we were also believing at the same time for, for his, his promises of overflow and more than enough so we could give away. And then suddenly, one day, it broke. I remember two and a half years in thinking, did I hear right? Did we hear right? Were we just emotional? Did we? And we thought, no, we've got to stick. We've got to keep push, 
push, mm. push. We can keep doing this diligently, and one day it just broke in the, in, the, in the smallest possible way. It just broke. And then following two weeks after that, it broke again a bit more, and then it just went... And everything we'd given over three years, he gave back in, in, in less than three months. He's just amazing. And we learned so much about him, but it was simplicity, faithfulness, and diligence. It can be in giving. It can be in serving. It just can be is when the, when, when the church meets, I'm there. Week after week after week. Because it's not the one push Every now and then that does it is, I'm in his presence week after week. I'm in his presence day after day. I'm with his presence. I'm in his, with his people. I'm being encouraged. I'm an encourager. I'm not just going to prophesy once. I'm going to prophesy every time I'm in a room of believers. I'm doing it again and again and again and again until momentum comes. And so Nehemiah is a man who said, when accused, he removed his options. He said, should a man like me run? And then he says, in the context of being accused of false motivation, he asks God, now strengthen my hands. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that he doesn't ask that when he's mocked, or when he's threatened, or he's, when he's distracted. It's when that was a personal accusation of his very motivation. That impacted him. He came to God and said, God, now strengthen my hands so I can keep building this wall. And we might say, what is that strength and how do I get that strength? And where's that strength going to come from so that day after day I can push, as it were, on the train? I can push and be diligent in simplicity. Where's that strength going to come from? And he says in chapter 8, verse 10, he says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. Yeah. That we actually gain momentum and keep going through the strength that comes from joy. That joy is a powerhouse. Joy gives you capacity. Joy gives you the ability to carry more load-bearing. Joy gives you the strength for the next promotion in God. Joy gives you the capacity to step up into the next thing that God has given you. Nehemiah must have continued for the, the, the strength that came from joy. Because he can say to the people, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Interestingly, the context of chapter 8 and verse 10 is this they've just been cut to the heart with repentance Ezra's just read out the law and the promise and the covenants and they realise that people have fallen really really short of that and actually what they wanted to do was weep and mourn it was in the context that the gates were not yet in place so the project wasn't yet completely finished and Nehemiah says in the midst of it not being yet finished because your joy isn't in a destination, it's in the Lord. In the context of being undone, repenting and realising that you were wrong, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your capacity. Joy is birthed in gratitude. Joy is birthed in the practice of gratitude. Actually, Oprah Winfrey says, the way home to joy is gratitude. Mm. Gratitude is the way to ignite joy. Joyful people are by nature grateful people. I'm sure Nehemiah must have been a man who said, I'm going to focus on the gains and not on the gap. He must have been able to say, I know a fox could cause this wall to fall, but we've done a lot more than when I started. Mm. Maybe it looks vulnerable and fragile, and maybe it is something you could jeer and mock, but... We're making move. We're, yes. we're gaining momentum. Something's happening. More is happening. It's measuring how far 
we've come, not how far there is to go. We're measuring how much we've learned in God and where we've grown. We're celebrating the fact that you guys went to Soul Survivor and you just heard God so easily. And you treasure hunted and you found the treasure and you reveal to people that God knows you, knows who you are, knows you by name, knows what you look like, knows what you'd be wearing tonight. That you prophesy with confidence and you hear God. And that's who we're becoming as a community. So we celebrate the gains. We celebrate the steps. We celebrate the fact that we can love Plumstead and we can hug people and we're learning how to prophesy and speak the reality that God wants to call people back to the original design of relationship with him. We celebrate the fact that you guys gave sacrificially and we've finished the roof. And so there's still stuff to do. We've got some leaks and stuff. We celebrate the gains and we celebrate the progress and we celebrate the momentum. We say that what we're living in now, which is just our new normal, we just worship God and he comes. It's normal. We believe every week people can get healed, that you can get healed this morning. It's normal. We believe those things. But you know what? Those things were not normal a few years ago. I remember being in a situation where we we were leading a church and I personally had not felt the manifest presence for 18 months there. And one day I turned up to do the chairs and he was filling the room. And then just, ah, you're here, Holy Spirit. It's changed. Because we had a normal where we weren't feeling. Then we had a new normal where we were. Guys who lead here and worship week after week after week, push, 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 here early, push, push, rehearsing in week, midweek, push, push, stretching their gift, growing. And then they come and together we encounter him. There's no magic moment where we grow in a gift. It's just push, push. I was an introvert, didn't like crowds. My first preachers, you might say they're still the same, weren't that great. For years. For years. Years and years and years of learning and growing and digging and coming after him. Push push, listening to him speak and say, hey, Jamie, we're not going to dwell here all the time because I do not call you to be introspective, but hey, we just need to look at this squidgy stuff, all right? Because that's going to get rid of that, face some brutal facts about that because you're going to go further, higher, Mm. more opportunities that together we can see that changed. And so we're growing, we've gained so much in enjoying the presence of God, in healing, in confidence in who we are, in courage, in identity, in intimacy. And there's more and more and more and more and more to come. So we don't modify ourselves, not us white-knuckling, changing ourselves. We come to Jesus, not just when we need him or when we're in an emergency, day after day after day after day. I want to touch base with you, Jesus. I want to be with you, Jesus. Actually, I don't really feel much need of you right now. I'm feeling pretty good. But I want to be in relationship with you. I want to see you more. I want to know you more. I want to be face to face with you today. I don't want a day to go by, a moment to go by, an hour to go by without connecting with you and recognising you are the very source of my life. It's push, push, push. And then one day we see some outflow. Something happens here. We hear his voice there. We get a fresh wave of courage there. And we say, what was the moment that gave you that fresh courage? 
what was the moment? There was no one moment. There was no one magic moment. It was all these things. Yeah. That, yes, that conference. Yes, that meeting. Yes, that moment where I declared. Yes, that prayer time. Yes, that meeting with a friend. Yes, that sozo. Yes, yes, there's all these things, but there were just so many of them. I haven't got a magic bullet, a magic tool, a magic moment. It was just faithfulness, diligence, resilience, perseverance, Faith with patience. Mm. Invite us to stand as we... Mm.